Uh, how are y'all doing? Okay. Um, if y'all are going to be weird, I'm not going to do this. Okay. So, uh, I just need to tell y'all, uh, welcome, first of all. Um, but Friday was my last day at my other job. So now I'm just a, just a full-time pastor, which I don't know why you're applauding. That just means more time for me to pick on you. So, uh, if you have, uh, random, um, needs, I know how to fix things and, uh, um, I'm a mechanic, unfortunately, and I don't want to be. Um, so uh, I, I, I can tell you genuinely from my heart, I can't believe that I get to do this. And not only do I get to be a pastor, but I get to be a pastor of people like y'all. They're just, y'all are phenomenal people. Most of you, almost all of you are phenomenal people. And, and I, I just, I, I can't, I mean, I can't believe I get to do this. And now I get to do this like as my job, like it's like my, dr I get to have my dream job and, and I get paid for it. So it's just, I, I'm, I thank you guys so much because y'all are so awesome. So anyway, um, I usually start the message off with giving you some kind of culture update. And last week, um, I, most people thanked me for speaking so directly. And some people said I didn't go far enough, um, which I felt like I went pretty far. Um, and some people said, you shouldn't talk about stuff like that, which is fine. Look, you can have your opinion no matter how wrong it is. You're allowed to have your own opinion. If it differs from mine, your opinion is probably wrong. Um, look, I'm the man of God if you're okay. So, uh, <laughs> so anyway, um, I'm going to, I'm going to give you a little challenge today. I've heard many people say that they will start getting involved with, uh, with what's going on. If once the laws actually violate the word of God, um, the state has stolen parental rights in schools. Y'all know this. So um, a lot of you are like, y'all are those weird people that homeschool your kids. Thank you so much. I'm glad you guys do this. If I could go back, I would have homeschooled my kid. Well, this would be real. Jessica would have homeschooled um, our kids. Um, and so we tried it for a little bit, but our kids were like hard-headed. Uh, they get it from their mom, like hard-headed. And so, um, but I, I applaud you guys that, that are homeschooling your kids because in the schools, um, do you remember when you were a kid? Maybe it's just me, but you thought that everything your parents did was stupid and you knew everything. Do you remember when you used to know everything? Yeah, so not anymore, right? Okay, so I remember I used to know everything and I would say some really dumb things and then I would say some really dumb things. Uh, like I would go to school and just talk about how really dumb things my parents did. Did you know that in a lot of America that if a, a kid, a fourth grade student goes to school and tells their teacher that their parents are not affirming their gender, gender identity, that can be classified as child abuse. And they will come in and literally take the children out of the home because they're, they, you're abusing your child by not affirming their gender dysphoria. Like, this is happening in our country now. And you may think, well, it's not happening here. Yeah, it is. It's happening here in our community. Stuff like this is happening where we are right now. And so um, the, the state is interfering with a biblical mandate because in the Bible, it tells you to honor your father and mother. And the state comes in and says, look, you don't have to honor your father and mother. You honor the state. We, as a matter of fact, you, a kid can come into school and, and say all these things. And the teacher has no legal obligation to tell the parents what the kid's going through. And they'll actually encourage them not to. And um, as you've seen, 
probably if you follow our culture, there are some teachers that are pushing their agenda onto students. And, and it turns out that like, like 90% of the class is, is transgender in some way or another, or they're part of the LGBTQ WXYZI big plus. I got the plus, I got the plus. They're part of that. So if 90% is part of, then I think there's an agenda there that someone's pushing an agenda. There's no way that historically um, it's been, you know, 2% of America has fallen under that category. And now it's like 20% of Gen Z, it falls under that category. There's an agenda here and your enemy is after the kids. And, uh, and we have to do something about it. If you're looking for your son to be involved, it's fun. It's time to get involved. It's time for you to do something. It's time for us as a church to do something, right? Are y'all with me? Okay. So um, we are in, oh, previously on the Gospel of John. I got to give you a little uh, context here. We're on, this is um, number 59 of the series of the Gospel of John. Get your giggles out. 59? 59 messages? And we're not even close to the end. Like, we're not even close to, we're in chapter 14. Um, but it's amazing how God still uses it to be relevant to what we're going through now, right? Um, so um, what's happening, give you a little context, in chapter 13 w- was known as the Last Supper, and Jesus had just put some really heavy things on his disciples. He's saying, look, um, one of you guys is going to betray me. One of you guys is going to sell me out. And, and then he says, um, um, Jesus tells them that he's about to go away to a, go to a place that they can't follow him and it's going to be like it's they're heartbroken they're looking at jesus and they're like we've been with you for the last three years we've gone everywhere you've gone and now you're telling us we can't go with you and peter says i'll go anywhere with you jesus i'll follow you anywhere and jesus looks at him and he's like no you won't like before the end of the night you're going to deny me three times and so that is directly where we end now we jump to to chapter 14 and in chapter 14 um chapter 14 is one of the most encouraging chapters in all of the New Testament. And it's just, it's phenomenal that Jesus, Jesus says some of the, the kindest and most encouraging words that he spoke in his entire life right here in, in the beginning of chapter 14. And so today we're going to start at the beginning of the chapter where Jesus is describing the reassured life. Now, I want to tell you, today's sermon is a little different. If you're, if you're used to hearing me preach, you, you'll see, I don't usually do like Here's point number one, here's point number two, and here's point number three. I have three points today because I'm a professional pastor, and that's what we do, okay? Now, I would love it if they spelled out something, like, really cool, but they don't. I didn't even look. It could spell a bad word. I don't know. It's only three letters, so there's not that many. Don't start thinking of all the three-letter bad words you know. Don't. You just did. Stop it. So so anyway, um, there's and it's I put it in yellow so you'll know to take notes. Um, we do life groups, not in the summer, but we do life groups. And our life groups are based off of the sermon. So if you're in a life group, you know that uh, we we have questions that are kind of based on the sermon. And you go to your life group, and then we discuss the things about the sermons. What I've noticed is in the summer, there's a lot less of you taking notes because we're not doing life groups. So you don't have to go and talk about the sermon. You're like, oh, I don't have to remember that. Look, it's still good for you to remember it. It's but the Holy Spirit will bring it to your, your memory. So John 14, verses 1 through 3. We're only doing three verses today, which is why it's taking y'all so long to get through John. It's y'all, it's me. 
Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare, and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. So in the upper room, they don't have chapters. I need us all to kind of, kind of think about what does the upper room look like? We're in the upper room. We're going there with the disciples. You have the 12 disciples. We talked about what the Last Supper looked like. It was like this U-shaped table, and they're all sitting. The guest of honor at the U-shaped table was Judas, and then you have Jesus in the center, and then you have, you have John sitting right next to him, and then the, the disciples are sitting around. Think of the room, candlelit room. There's, it's flickering. Jesus is telling them, hey, look, um, he's like, all of this is almost over. I'm about to leave, and I'm going away, and you can't come with me. In fact, you'll deny me and disown me multiple times before the night is over. Imagine the fear and anxiety and worry that these guys who had been hanging out with Jesus had been, they'd been with Jesus every day, nonstop for the last three years. Imagine what they feel, feel like when Jesus says, look, I'm leaving and, and y'all can't come with me. Where I'm going, you can't go. As a matter of fact, you're, you're going to deny me. And so they would be, they're, they're in this upper room. They're sealed behind these closed doors the, with the lights flickering. It's dark. They're in a, they're in a hostile city. That is, that is against what God wants. And they're, and they're all, Jesus changes the tone. And he says, look, all of this is happening. I'm about to leave. But look, don't let your hearts be troubled. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. It's, it's important for us to see it in context because it was like this ever darkening, like you're going to leave me. One of you is going to betray me. And, and, and it's going to be dark. It's going to be tough. But it's okay because because I am going to be with you always, always. I'm always going to be with you. And so um, he's speaking truth. And, and what we need to understand is this truth isn't just meant for the disciples at this time. This truth is meant for us today, that when we're in dark times, that we need to, to trust in Jesus. We need to understand that we have the confidence to, to have uh, our relationship in Jesus is what defines us, right? So I'll tell you a little story. My boss, or former boss, because uh, now y'all are my boss, which is scary. <laughs> my former boss called me this week and he said, can you tell me the difference in, uh, in a Catholic and a Christian? Like, or in a Catholic and then the kind of church that you are? And I said, sure. And so I start to tell him about stuff and then he directly goes to exorcisms. He's like, so how do exorcisms work? And I'm like, well, calm down, bro. Like... <laughs> He said, so have you seen someone that's like demon-possessed? And I was like, yeah, I have, actually. I've seen someone demon-possessed. Anybody seen someone demon-possessed? Raise your hand. It's okay. Lay your hand up if it's you. I'm just kidding. That's okay. <laughs> so um, he said, so, uh, so what do you do in that situation when, when you see someone? And I remember at, in, in the youth service once, there was a kid that was just writhing around on the ground and like ah, making weird sounds. And it can be very intimidating if you don't know Jesus, and I'm not talking about like uh, you prayed a prayer one time when you were in VBS, when you were like five, and now you're 25, and you see that, that's not knowing Jesus. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, that can be very, very scary. But he said, so what did you do? And I said, well, I walked up to the situation, and, and the, the kid was, their face was all like, and they're growling, and they're rolling around on the ground. And I said, in Jesus' name, come out. 
And he said, and what happened? Like he's hanging on, like, and what happened? I said, well, the demon had to leave. Like the demon can't stay because I know who I am and I know who Jesus is. And Jesus has power to make demons flee. And I brought Jesus with me. I was like, hey, Jesus, let's go get this demon out of here. And so I said, in Jesus' name, you have to leave. And so immediately the demon leaves. And he's like, whoa, that's awesome. That doesn't happen unless you know who Jesus is. Unless you are reassured and understand fully the authority that you have in dark times. Did you know that no matter what, in a dark room, if you turn the light on, the darkness leaves. It has to leave. The same is true in the very same way that when Jesus is present, darkness has to leave. Demons have to leave. Evil has to leave. And so when you, when you uh, say in Jesus, and it's not, like a, it's not like a Harry Potter spell where you cast a wand, you say, uh, abracadabra, you have to leave. Like, that's not how it works. It's not the words that you're saying. It's the presence of Jesus. And Jesus has to be present in your life. And it doesn't happen that, that you can, all right, well, now on your way over to the demon, you're going to be like, all right, Jesus, I need this. That's too late for you to start having a relationship. You have a relationship daily, right? And so what I want to challenge you with is the three things to have a reassured understanding of what it looks like when Jesus is the center of your life. So the first thing is, and it's in yellow, so you know to write this note. I highlighted it for you. The reassured life is worry-less. I originally wrote the reassured life is worry-free, but the more I thought about it, the more that would be a lie. Can you live worry-free? You're like, I'm holy. Yes, I can. Liar. <laughs> you can live worry-less, and, and the fact that the Bible tells us that uh, to, to not worry implies that worry is going to come. So you have to... Uh, for us, the disciples, if anyone had a reason to worry, the disciples had a reason to worry. And so they didn't even realize how bad things were about to get. And Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. The, the Greek word for troubled is terasesto. And terasesto is like, don't let your hearts be stirred up. Let your hearts be, um, be agitated. And so Jesus was warning the disciples not to panic and not to have fear and not to worry about the troubling times that were going to come. We're not to allow our hearts to remain in the state of agitation or panic or fear. Worry is going to show up at your door. Worry is going to knock on your heart and say, hey, let me in. You have a choice of what you do when worry comes. And it is completely up to what you do with it. A lot of people, they have a problem coming up and they will start to worry about it. And that worry will overtake them. And then all they can see is their worry. All they can see is their fear. All they can see is the storm that they're in. You have a choice. If an impure thought comes up into your mind, you cannot control if, if a thought just pops up into your brain. You can control what you do with that thought. Worry is a sin. You can control if you continue to sin. You can control if you remain there. Paul said in 1 Corinthians, no temptation to seize you except what is common to men. Pause. You think when you're in a storm or you're having problems that you have it worse than anyone in all of history has ever had anything. You think your storm is worse than everybody else's, don't you? Like if you're honest, if you're not honest, you be honest. You know what it is, and you think, oh, man, I just it's worse for me. Like, 
Look at my neighbors. They have nice cars. How come we live in the same neighborhood? How come they have a nicer car than me? Well, it's because they have debt. That's why. Your neighbors have problems that you don't know anything about. Your neighbors probably look at you and be like, at least I'm not them. No, I'm just kidding. Your neighbors probably look at you. <laughs> your neighbors look at you and they're like, man, they have it all together. Look at them. They have it like they got it down. And so um, anyway, he says, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. People take this verse out of context. They say this verse and they say, look, God will never let any trouble overtake you. That's not saying the whole verse. When, when, have you ever seen anyone who is a Christian crash and burn? That was a question. That was a question mark at the end. Okay, let me tell you. I'm going to ask again. It's a question mark. Have you ever seen a Christian crash and burn? Yeah, trouble comes, and then they're like, oh, I, just can't, I can't handle it. And it was too much for them to handle. Actually, too much for you to handle happens all the time. So when people say, God will never give you more than you can handle. Well, actually, God didn't do it. The world did it. Uh, now, he does, however, he will, when you are tempted, he will provide a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. What's the way of escape? Jesus. Jesus. Jesus is the way of escape. When you understand and you're assured in your identity in Jesus, then you have a way of escape. The last time you gave in to temptation, whatever the temptation was, the last time you gave in to sin, what the Holy Spirit does for you is he throws up a stop sign. He says, stop, do not go forward. You know where that road leads. Don't go that way. And he throws a stop sign up in your way to prevent you from going on in sin. And what do you do? You're like, stop sign. I don't need that stop sign. And you keep going and then you sin and then you go back to where you're in a, a pigsty, broken, and you say, Lord, I'm sorry. And you repent and you come back to the Lord. And then the temptation presents itself again. And the Holy Spirit, they are, he is so faithful. The, the Father is so faithful to us. The Holy Spirit is so faithful to us. He says, stop, stop, don't do it. And then you blow through the stop sign and he does it over and over and over. He gives you a way out. Every time he gives you a way out and in your worry, in your anxiety, he gives you a way out of it. And that is to put those cares and that trust in him. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Your hearts don't have to be troubled. Don't let your heart be troubled. When we worry and we find ourselves in anxiety, we're disregarding the presence and the power and the promises of God. See how all three of those start with the P? Professional Hester. <laughs> so the first thing is to, look, I'm just going to keep reminding you, okay? The first thing is uh, the reassured life is a worry less. The second thing is the reassured life is faith-based. Um, that may seem so obvious that the, the reassured life is is faith-based, but how do we fight against a troubled heart? The very reason that our hearts can be worried less is if they are faith-based. He says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Look, when he said these words, this would be like huge for these guys. It's like, you trust in God, trust in me. These these kids, these, these disciples, they were, they based their entire life of faith. Look, there's no time in the Bible that argues for the existence of God. Not once. Because obviously God is real. So they don't they don't need to argue that point. 
So these guys spent, they, they based everything off of their relationship with God. They trusted the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They knew the same God that, that, that delivered his people across the Red Sea as if it was dry ground. That same God was alive and they had a relationship with that same God. And Jesus was telling them that that same belief, what I want you to do is that belief that you have in that God, I want you to put it on me. Include me in that. This is just like those I am statements when he said, I am Yahweh, Jehovah. I am the God of all creation. And when Jesus says, I am, put your faith, you, you trust in God. Now, trust in me in the same way. The disciples were headed into the storm of their lives. And Jesus looks at them and says, trust me. I got you. And that's what we need to do when we're in a storm. Or better yet, before we see a storm coming, we are locking eyes with Jesus and saying, look, I know you got me. Like, it's just me and you, Jesus. Let's go. We got this. And you trust in him. You can trade your, your fears for something else. In Psalms, David says, when I'm afraid, I will put my trust in you. Faith is the antidote to worry and fear. You, the two of those things can exist together. When you put your faith in front of your fear, your fear disappears. It goes away. So the third thing is the reassured life is forward thinking. Now, forward thinking is going to be a foreign concept to many of you because you're still living in the past. Remember how you were like, cool. You know, Uncle Rico. <laughs> you don't know Uncle Rico? Uncle Rico still thinks that they could have won the championship, the football championship. Because he's, he's, I mean, he's like 40 years old. And he's still thinking about his high school days. And he's still living in his high school days. Y'all know who Uncle, Uncle Rico's from Napoleon Dynamite. For those of you that like, some of you are like, what's a Napoleon Dynamite? Okay. So forward thinking is thinking about the future and believing that the best is yet to come. And it's not just the naming it and claiming it kind of like, I'm going to be rich because God wants me to be rich. I, I, I claim it in Jesus' name that I'm going to have a million dollars. That's not what we're talking about at all. So, so many people live in the past. I can tell you, um, I love my four square brothers and sisters, or other, other four square churches. But the ones that I've gone to, and if you go to other four square churches, um, it, it's really just the ones in Texas that I know of. Uh, that I've gone to a few of these four square churches and it's like they had a really good good time in the late 80s and early 90s and so what they did is they stayed there so like literally they they dressed the same as they did then they played the same songs as as then the sermons are probably the same sermons from the late 80s and early 90s so like they're quoting like Mork and Mindy and kids are like what is that what are you talking about like and when when people when people have he said nanu nanu so when people have uh it's like they had this great time god god wasn't this happened for in youth ministry a lot like we would take kids to camp and they would have this great wonderful experience at camp and then they would the further they got away from camp the further time had elapsed from camp the less they were experiencing the nearness of god it's like Jesus waits at camp for them and then they go there and they meet with Jesus and then Jesus stays at camp and then they think back to all those good times they had at camp and you know where Jesus is right 
wherever you go, wherever you go, that's where Jesus is. Where two or more are gathered. Y'all know that's from the Bible, right? I didn't just make that up. Sounds good. I, I didn't make it up. So he, he the, the further they get away from that, the more they think, oh, man, those were good times. Those were the good old days. Listen, kids, your good old days haven't even started yet. The best is yet to come. The best is yet to come for Life Church. I truly believe that. Like, it's going to be good. It's going to. I'm so glad you guys are on this roller coaster with me. I think this is awesome. I can't believe I get to do this. Um, but in your life, you may have had some great, powerful, been able to experience some great, powerful movements of God in your Christian life. But the best is yet to come. The best hadn't even happened yet. Like just you wait, and you're and you're thinking, oh yeah, in heaven, okay, whatever. Like no, I mean in this life, like next week. Like, you lay your life down to see what Jesus does. Like, I bet you he'll do something big. So, um, living the reassured life is not about camping out in the past, but it is truly believing, not casting a spell, but believing that the best is yet to come. Though the road may be bumpy, it will be bumpy. It will be hard at, at times. But that's because that's how the world is. Take heart. He's overcome the world. You don't have to worry about the problems because he's already overcome them. He said, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? In the King James Version, it says, in my house are many mansions. In the NIV, it says, in my house are many rooms. That feels like a downgrade, doesn't it? Like we just got downgraded. That's not, doesn't seem fair. The downgrade doesn't seem fair. I, um, I told an airplane story a few weeks ago, and y'all really loved it. Um, so I'm going to tell you another airplane story. One time, uh, we're all fine with upgrades, right? You ever go to rent a car, and they're like, hey, sorry, the uh, Ford Fiesta that you you wanted to rent is not available. Would you mind taking this Camaro? And you're like, no, give me the Fiesta. You're like, no, I'll take the uh, Camaro. Fine, yes, that's good, and I'll do that. Uh, so one time, I was flying into, I was flying from Houston to Dallas, and then from Dallas to Denver, because you know, saving money. It's the worst idea. So I, I landed. The Denver air, airport is shaped like a C. My gate was right here where I landed, and I had 40 minutes from the time I landed to to get to my gate. It was the last one on this side. It was literally the furthest you could go, and you're not allowed to run across the middle because planes are driving there, and they frown upon that, uh, and you get put in handcuffs, I heard. Um, so, uh, so you, so I'm, I'm literally, I'm the guy in the airport that runs. Okay. So I'm running, I get, and like, I'm trying to, you know, as soon as the, the light comes on, everybody's like stands up and like, like sit down, just sit down. Okay. So, and I run, I get, and I run as fast as I can. And I saw a famous person and I stopped to talk to them for briefly. It was Stuart Scott from sports center. So I stopped to talk to him and I was like, I'm like, Hey man, what's up? And so, and then I'm like, I gotta go. And so I run and I keep going and I get to my gate and I'm like 10 minutes late. The lady at the gate says, yeah, you weren't even close, buddy. Like the plane's already pulling out. And I'm like, oh, she's like, but we'll, we'll upgrade you to first class if you'll wait one hour. I'm like an hour. I love hanging out in airports. Listen, I could go hang on an airport all day long because airports are my favorite. The people are so weird. Like I love airports. If I'm hanging out with someone else and there's like people walking by, we do this game where we try to guess people's names. Because, you know, if you ever meet someone named Billy, he looks like a Billy. Like, so you just like, Billy! And if he looks, you get a point. 
So, and we keep score. So, you can't yell it so loud. You can only yell it loud enough to where, if I yell Billy and I'm like right next to you, everybody's going to look. You have to yell it loud enough to where he can't. So, I'm just explaining the rules of the game. We're not going. If you've never been in public with me, you're really missing out. I'm just telling you. So, I get, so she, they upgrade me to the first class. First class, I did not belong in first class. Okay. So, I'm, I grew up poor, like, and, and my brain is still poor. Okay. So, I, they let you in the airplane first so you can look down on all the people coming through. You're like, oh, you poor people, move along. Like, and you're like, they keep moving. And you're like, man, this is like, so I'm sitting there and the lady comes up. She's like, would you like something to drink? And I'm like, the, the airplane hadn't even left yet. People, are, she makes people wait so she can ask me if I want something to drink. And so I'm like, how much? And she's like, no, it's free. And like, it's like, haven't you been in first? No, I haven't. So it's, it's like, okay, I'll take a Sprite. And a banana, if you've got one. And she, she brought me a Sprite and a banana before the plane even left. I'm like, I'm so rich, like, you don't even know. And so so the, the plane takes off, and I'm like, this is the best day ever. And I'm like, sit, I, the seats are like this wide. Have y'all, if you've never been in first class, it is awesome. So the seats are like this wide, and I'm leaning back, and I'm like, this is wonderful. I'm so wealthy. And, uh. And I'm looking around for famous people that I that, like like me. And so the, she comes out with this tray of like towels that are folded in this like beautiful shape. And she's like, excuse me, sir, would you like a towel? And I was like, as a matter of fact, I do. And so she uses these tongs to hand me a warm towel. And I'm like, and I'm like, I had zero idea what this towel was for. Like, no idea. And so I'm looking around at all the other famous people like me. I'm like, what do we do with the towels, guys? And so they, so I didn't, I didn't know. I, they weren't doing anything. They were just sitting there being rich. And so I was, I was like, I took the towel. And I was like, I'm just wiping my, I'm dabbing my face. Like, mm. it was great. It was great. I did not belong in first class. I literally wanted to get up and be like, look, okay, y'all caught me. I'm poor. I'm going to go back to the back with my other people. So anyway, we like upgrades. That's nothing to do with the sermon at all. We like upgrades, but we just got downgraded from, uh, from a mansion to a room. Like in my father's house are many mansions. And now the NIV is like, in our father's house are rooms. Calm down. But the word is monai. And Moni is like, there's lodgings, there's, there's dwelling places. So he's like, in my father's house are many places to dwell. He's comparing the new heavens and the new earth and the new Jerusalem to a house because it's easy. Places that we live are called houses. And so what you have in a house is you have rooms. And that doesn't mean that we're all going to live like we think of heaven and we're like, oh, I'm going to live in this like heavenly apartment complex. It's going to be great. Like probably get next to the snoring guy. It's going to be just great. Uh, but it's nothing like it's nothing like that. When, when we think of heaven, we don't begin to even almost scratch the surface of how good heaven is going to be. The, the, the worst house in all of heaven, the worst mansion in all of heaven is nowhere, nowhere. The, the best house on earth is nowhere close to how good the worst house in heaven. And some of you are thinking, that worst house? Probably mine. Like, I'm the worst person that's ever going to make it in, but I'm going to make it. Probably not. And a first Corinthians, no, you probably are going to make it. I submit, probably not the worst. That's so sorry. I said, like, no, you're probably not going to make it in. 
What a great pastor he is. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. That's heaven. He's preparing heaven for us. And not only is he preparing heaven for us, it's far better than you could imagine. And some of y'all, when y'all come, y'all love to come and tell me the things, the parts of the sermon that I shouldn't have said, the parts of the sermon I should have said, this, you should have used this scripture, you, should, you shouldn't have said this. Like, look, you need to work on this. Like, thank you so much. You have a wild imagination. And so, and it's fine. Keep giving me pointers. I need them. Your imagination, as wild as it is, is not even close to how good heaven is going to be. Far beyond. When Jesus rose from the dead, I want to calibrate our idea of what heaven is actually like. Okay, so when Jesus rose from the dead, he did so physically. He was, uh, it was a physical body. It was literally, and, and he made a point of stressing that when he talked to his disciples. He said, hey, touch me, like touch me. You can see I'm real. I am not a ghost. I am real. I'm not this, this uh, disembodied spirit. I am a real person. Come and touch the holes in my hand. See that I am real. So one day our resurrection bodies will be literal physical resurrection body. You're not going to be some spirit floating around. And and heaven is not going to be a place where you're like, and then you can just appear somewhere. No, you're going to walk or take a Tesla or something. I don't know. You're going to, you're going to travel. And, and heaven is a real place. All you're like, no, I'm not taking no electric car. Nowhere. Like, that's for the liberals. I know what y'all are thinking. So, <laughs> listen, y'all calm down. So our, our resurrection bodies will be physical bodies. So the new heavens and the new earth and the new Jerusalem is going to be this physical, literal place. Our homes in heaven will be physical like you can knock on the door. It's not like this ghostly puff of smoke that you're going to like you think of Mary Poppins like on the clouds or you think of like when you think of heaven, some of you think of like little fat babies on diapers with arms. Like, you know what I'm talking about? Like, and you think you're going to be, oh, I'm sorry, cherubs, like little fat babies. Okay. So, and they're, and you think you're going to be in heaven. You're going to have a heart and you're going to have wings. I can't stand it when people, like when people pass away and they're like, they got their wings. No, they did. They didn't get wings. Angels are created beings. Angel is actually a job description, just so you know. There are multiple spiritual beings. I mean, you can get into that, but. Angel is a job description. So people, when people die, just want to be clear, they don't become angels, okay? People are people, and you'll be a people later too, okay? And you're not going to be a fat baby with a, with a heart, okay? I can't imagine that's what your new body is going to look like, but maybe some of you, I don't know. So when the Bible speaks of heaven, it doesn't use cloudy, ethereal, I said ethereal earlier, and they several people were like, "Hey, you're saying that wrong, dummy." So it's not this vapory kind of language. When when the Bible talks about heaven, it's not like this blurred lens where when you see like TV shows that that picture heaven, it's like cloudy and like that's not what it's going to be like. It's not going to be like that at all. When the Bible talks about heaven, it talks about cities and mountains and trees and streets. It talks about physical things. And that's what heaven is actually going to be like. It's a real place. We're not going to be homeless people wandering around. 
like disembodied spirits, no, having nobody. We are going to be, have places to live in. We are going to be able to play golf and make a hole in one on every single hole. Can't wait because I, I just, this is my drive. Is the, anyway, so Jesus was reassuring his people about this. When he talks to his disciples, he's like, look, the best is yet to come, guys. Like what you have in front of you, like you have some troubles. You're about to go through some really tough storms, but it's okay. Take heart. I've overcome the world. The darkness that you're about to, to see has nothing on the future, the ultimate future that you have in heaven. He says, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am, you can be also. Jesus loves you so much. He can't wait for you to be with him. It's so beautiful. When, when we don't realize this, and we don't get to realize this in all of its glory, our heavenly bodies and our, and our future home, until our soon returning king returns. But when we die, you know that, that Jesus is not bound by time like we are. We're bound by time. Jesus is already in eternity. And he's in the past and he's in the present, and he's in the future all at the same time because he's not bound by the same things that we're bound by. We think that when we die, one day um, one day we'll have to wait, and then one day we'll get to be with Jesus. And that's just not what the Bible says. In Acts 7, um, Stephen says this, as he's, as right as he's dying, he's like, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit right now. Stephen left the earth and went to be with Jesus immediately. What about the thief on the cross? When the thief says, Jesus, when you're, when you're in your kingdom, please remember me. And Jesus says, Jesus says, listen, I'm telling you this. Today, 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 you will be with me in paradise. Today, you don't have to wait. Like you may have been taught, you may have thought that there's some waiting period from when you die to when you actually get to be in heaven. No, the moment you leave this earth, you're in heaven if you know Jesus. Because next week, we're going to talk about how Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. You can only get to heaven through Jesus. So, the place that he's preparing for you and for me and for, for everyone that knows him to enjoy for all eternity, that place is heaven, and we get to experience that. Can you imagine? You can't. I know that because the Bible says you can't. But let's imagine together that... The world was created in six days with all of its beauty and majesty was created in six days. For the last 2,000 years, he'd been preparing a place for you. Far beyond what we can ever dream or imagine. He's been preparing a place for us to go and experience with him for the last 2,000 years. Man, it's going to be great. Christians should be the happiest people on the face of the planet because we get to look forward to heaven. The best is yet to come in eternity and the best is yet to come now. And we have a job to do to invite others into this eternity with us. Amen. God, we thank you so much for your loving kindness and for your grace and for the way that you continue to just lavish your love out on us as your kids. Lord, we just ask that we would be people who fully understand our relationship with you and how you are assuring our identity. We're only finding our identity, not in the things of this world, but in you and only you. 
so that the things of this world cannot take that away from us. So Lord, we are going to be people that are, are laying our troubles, laying our cares, laying our anxieties and our fears at your feet. And we won't pick up anything that you don't hand us. We know you are good, God. And we thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Wait, before you go anywhere, today is Baptism Sunday. And we have several people that are getting baptized. What we do in probably about 10 minutes, 15 minutes, we are going to walk down this street and we're going to go down to the river and people are going to get baptized in the river. If you don't want to walk, it's a, it's kind of a steep slope. If you don't want to do that, you can actually walk up on the bridge. It's right down here. You can walk up on the bridge and you can actually watch from up on the bridge. So please, everyone come and watch. It is great because there's a lot of people down there at the river right now. And it's so cool what we see them do. They'll stop doing what they're doing and they'll applaud when people are baptized. It's beautiful. So come down there, okay? All right, love you guys.